The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com that's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C dot com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website, which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue today in the book of Job, we come to the first attack by Zophar against Job. After reviewing where we are to this point, we begin to see that Zophar's attacks on Job are even more harsh than Eliphaz's attacks. Zophar accuses Job of being guilty before God and that his guilt is the reason for God oppressing him as he is doing. Of course, we know that God's not the one doing the oppressing, it's Satan. Ultimately, we'll see that Zophar's attacks against Job sound suspiciously like the prosperity gospel of today. Just have enough faith, Job, and everything will be okay. Join us today as we begin looking at Zophar's attack against Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
This morning, I want to go back to the book of Job, and we're about to start the 11th chapter. Now, I want to take just a brief minute and review where we are. You may recall that uh, the book of Job is the oldest book written in the scriptures, according to historians and archaeologists. And I believe them. I believe it's true. And and that is very uh, telling to me that God inspired men to write this book first because it deals with some of the things that we still are dealing with today. Think about it. Suffering, troubles. What about our prayer request list this morning? All about problems of life. And that's what Job was experiencing. And the question is, who is God and what is his nature? And who is Satan and what is his, his nature and what are they both doing? And sometimes you can get confused. You can get, I know a lot of people, and I've done it myself in my life, I've blamed God for a lot of things that happened in my life that God wasn't doing. You see, everything that happens in our lives is not God's doing. God, you say, well, doesn't God always have his way? Well, he has his way among the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of the land, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? In other words, he's sovereign over the universe, but God is also holy and does not sully his hands with sin. You see, we've got to remember that oftentimes we hear, and this church even got off base uh, for many years on the fact that of, of, of believing that God was doing everything, causing everything to happen that happened, including sin. Beloved, I want to tell you that God doesn't touch sin. The relationship God has to sin is found most clearly to me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, where he says um, that uh, there hath no temptation taken you. Now that tells us right there that temptations take us. God doesn't send them. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But where's God in all this? But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. See, in all temptation, in all trouble, in all suffering, God is faithful. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his nature of holiness and righteousness. And he's faithful to you, child of God. He's faithful to every one of us in every temptation and every trouble as Job is going to learn. As Job is struggling with this issue, he's going to find out in the end that God is with him and he's going to understand not that, that God is not the one afflicting him, that that's the tempter that's afflicting him, but that God is faithful to him. And you notice what it says, he suffers temptation. I like that word. You might use the term permit, you might say let, but I like the word suffer. I like that good old King James Version uh, translation of that right there because it says God suffers temptation. That gives me a, a connotation that, that, that makes me understand that he is not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. We can come to him and he understands. He suffers it. He suffers it with us. He's not pleased with the suffering that occurs in this world. In fact, when he made the world, it was very good. But man turned it upside down. Adam turned it upside down by the fall. And now the world is full of trouble. Man that is born of a woman, we're going to read if we get to it today. Job says, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of troubles. And oh, I've found that to be the case. It's just on a personal note, this was an interesting weekend. We lost uh, Austin's dog that he'd, he'd had for 15 years, and a sweet little dog, you know. And I'm, I'm, we, we love the dog, and 
And I'm, you know, I'm not mourning the loss of the dog like I would a human. I promise you that. I'm not that, that way. But, uh, but it is a little loss there. But really what it was to me was sobering. I couldn't believe 15 years had passed since we got that little dog. It was, and, and here I am, 54 years old. And you know what? I'm not on the uphill climb anymore. I'm on the downhill slide. <laughs> I'm afraid. Brother Glenn and I were talking about, uh, you know, when as we see these older uh, members of our family pass away, and now suddenly he said, you know what that means? That means we're the old folks now. <laughs> we're becoming that generation, and it's slowly is slowly and surely getting here, and in fact, is getting faster all the time. Job is exactly right. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. So what we read in the book of Job is, is some important stuff about the nature of God and the nature of suffering and the nature of Satan and what man is enduring here. So uh, let me just say this too before I leave that thought. If you're not careful, you'll leave the book of Job with a misunderstanding of the nature of God. Because just remember this, God is not the one afflicting Job. God and Satan were talking about Job, and God pointed Job out to Satan, but, but you see, Satan already knew all about Job. God didn't have to inform, you know, when God said, have you considered my servant Job? Satan didn't say, wait a minute, who is he? No, <laughs> he, said, he said, yeah, I've considered him. I've been trying to get him, but you won't let me because you've got this hedge around him. And we learned some important things there that God is the keeper of the hedge. Satan is the afflictor of the brethren. Now, we understand that God has lowered the hedge on Job. And we'll see, I believe there's some reasons God never does anything without good reason to do it. But, but you remember also, as we sort of wrap up this review, the three major themes of the book of Job is patience, pride, and pity. Patience, pride, and pity. Remember James chapter 5 and verse 11 said, You have heard of the patience of Job, and you have seen the end of the Lord, that he is very pitiful and of tender mercies. See, right there we read about the patience of Job. Job endures this temptation. He struggles with it. But by and large, overall, he endures it with patience. And let me just say, you may be suffering, and I, I know I've suffered in my life, but one of the reasons God gave us Job is to give us an example of a man who could suffer more than most of us ever will suffer. Most of us will never suffer as much as Job, but even if you do suffer as much as Job, you've got his example here, how to endure it patiently. We're going to see that if we get to it this morning. We may have to come back to it tonight, but if we get to it this morning, we'll see how that Job is patient in his sufferings. And, and we also see the theme of pride. Now, there's two things there, two aspects of that. First of all, God was proud of Job. Job was doing right. Job was the most righteous man in the country in that day. And God said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Look how good he's doing. You know, that tells me that God is pleased when we live right. God is pleased when we serve him. God is pleased when we're faithful to his kingdom, when we're loving to his people, when we are doing the things that he says we ought to do. Jesus said, if a man loves me, he'll keep my commandments. You see, when we love God, when we... When, you know, it's not a, it's not a pitter pat goes your heart feeling. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of times I hate to even confess this. There's a lot of times I don't want to come to church. There's a lot of times I get up in the mornings and I think, what's the point? There's no point in it. But you know what God said? It's not about how you feel. It's about doing what I said. And if you love me, you'll do it. You see, now, that doesn't mean if you 
don't do what he says, you're no longer a child of God. It just means you're a disobedient child of God. You know, when I didn't do what my daddy said to do, I didn't quit becoming his child. I didn't quit being his child. I just was a disobedient child. And you know what else happened? <laughs> he disciplined me. <laughs> he chastened me. You know what happens when we don't do what God says we ought to do? We get chastened. You find yourself in a place of chastening. You find yourself in a rut. You find yourself in a pit. You find yourself somewhere sitting down with the hogs maybe. I hope it's not that bad with you. But it got that bad with the prodigal son. You know what? That's God just letting you alone and leaving you to your devices. But you know what else? He's still in the mansion. He's still in the palace. And the prodigal son got up and went back. And by the way, I love that story. This is not what I want to preach on this morning, Brother Buddy. But, uh, but you notice that the prodigal son didn't have to go all the way back to the palace in order to have fellowship with his father. The only, the only time in Scripture that I read about God or, or an example, someone who's an example of God running is in the story of the prodigal son when, when God ran to his son and took him up in his arms and brought him back. Do you find yourself in that place? Listen, if you're sitting down in the hog pen with the hogs like the prodigal son, come to yourself, child of God. It's not your natural self, but that self that has been born again, that self that is the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Come back and, and, and think about the beauties of the palace do like they said in Psalm 48. Walk about Zion. Tell the towers thereof. Count the towers. Look at the bulwarks and look at the walls and look at the palaces. You know, the beauty of Zion is it doesn't just have towers and it doesn't just have walls. It's also got a palace. That's a place for the king's family to sit down and rest and dine and fellowship together. You see, I don't know how I got so far off on that, but I like it. <laughs> I like thinking about it. But going back to Job, remember that God was proud of the way Job was acting. God, was, God was, was pleased, and he's pleased when we live right. But there's also another aspect of that pride, and that's Job's pride. We see it kind of mixed in with all of his patience. He's, he's self-righteous, and certainly his friends were. Certainly his friends were very self-righteous and they kept pointing out to him that that's why you're suffering, Job, is you're, there's some unconfessed sin and the way you get right with God is to get yourself in the position of being righteous and Job has made the, asked the question already, how, how can a man be just with God? But Job still tried to be. So his pride is part of it and part of the reason I believe God lift, or lowered the hedge around him is because that he had some pride that needed to be dealt with. And we're going to see there's no pride left in Job or his friends when this is over with. And then ultimately, pity, the pity of God, the pitiful love that he has for his children. Like as a father pitieth his children, so doth the Lord, so doth the Lord pity them that love him. You know, you ever, I, I'm, I'm a father, and I didn't understand this till I became a father. But one of the, I love my children. But one of the primary emotions I have when I think of my children is, is not so much love as pity. Pity, because I've been where they're going. I know what they're going to face. I see them and my heart hurts for them and my heart breaks for them sometimes when I see them facing the trials of life. I get that as a father. But God is a better father than me and he pities us. He is very pitiful and of tender mercies. mercies. So then we saw where that the friends came and, God, and began to sit with him quietly and they should have stayed quiet 
but but they they kept they decided they had to talk they're like me a lot of times they think they got to say something so so they began to talk to him and then they began to uh, to bring some accusations against him and by the way job's friends are not the example of how we should think but how we shouldn't think they're not the example of how we should approach those who are suffering but how we should not you see, they had drawn up their own idea of God. I told you the story about the little boy drawing God. I won't tell it again. You can look back on the other messages and, and, and see. But remember, he said, they'll know what God looks like when I get through drawing him. We get our own idea of what God is and what he looks like. Eliphaz relied on his experience, and he came in and crushed the spirit of Job. He had this legalistic way of thinking, this cause and effect kind of thinking. He even said that the problem with the, with the child going astray was bad parenting, Job. That was your fault, Job. He had this idea that there had to be, if you got cancer, it's because you have been living wrong. If you die, something in your life caused it, you see. Or someone in your family dies, it's your fault somehow. Bildad comes in and he says, based on history and the wisdom of the ancients, the experience of the old men, uh, this idea of Christian karma is the way we ought to be thinking. That what goes around comes around tit for tat, one for one payment. And that's not correct thinking. This morning, we're in chapter 11. And we're going to look at Zophar, who is the third friend. Now, I will say that after this, I hope after we get through the first encounter with Zophar, we're going to move pretty fast through the rest of it because a lot of what we read from here down to Elihu is repetitive and building upon what they've said in the past. But here's Zophar's first argument. This is the first thing we see about Zophar. Beginning in chapter 11, in verse 1, Then answered Zophar the Naamathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed. Now, essentially, there's three arguments here that we're going to look at that, that Zophar is going to give to Job as he is really the harshest of all three of these miserable comforters. First, he's going to say, and we're going to get, we're about to read it here. He's going to say, Job, you're guilty before God. And then he's going to accuse Job of being ignorant of God. And then he's going to tell Job the only way to fix this is to repent unto God. Now let me just say this about repentance. That's a daily thing we all ought to do. And Job is a sinner. But remember, there's not some sin that Job has committed that has brought this upon him. This is not God chastening him for some adultery or some uh, cheating that he's been doing in his business or something like that, that, that he, you can't point to a particular, you can point to the fact that Job is a sinner and he deserves, you know, if you remember, um, well, we're going to see that here in a minute, that, uh, that he really deserves more than he's getting. <laughs> you know, he really does. We all deserve more punishment, more chastening than we get. But you see, that's not how God operates. If God were punishing Job with his wrath, then Job would just be disintegrated and sent to hell immediately. You know, think about it. What do we deserve? We deserve the wrath of God. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care if you've committed small sins or large sins. Now, there's no such thing as big and little sins in the mind and purpose of God. 
There's consequences. There's sins that are greater than others and their consequences. You know, it's one thing to look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, but if you're a married man and you go chasing after her, there's worse consequences for that. But in the mind and purpose of God, you've already committed adultery. You're already a sinner deserving hell. But guess what? He laid all that sin on his son. You know why he laid all that sin on his son? Because you couldn't bear the load. I know there's teaching out there in the world today that tells us that we bear the load, that it's on us. God did all he could do, and now it's up to you. I want to tell you, beloved, if God did all he could do and he didn't get the job done, the job will never get done. There's no hope for us. If God did not completely finish the job, the work that he was given to do, if Christ cried out, it is almost finished, then we're out of luck. But praise God, he cried out, it is finished. From an eternal standpoint, our sins are all covered and paid for, okay? But repentance is something we need to do daily because we still are sinners. And the repentance does not get us into a relationship with God, but it reconciles to us in fellowship with God. We have been reconciled to God through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, we're told in the book of Romans. But we need to be reconciled to him on a daily basis by following him and being in fellowship with him, you see. But what he's saying, he's going to tell Job ultimately is you've got to repent in order for this uh, to make yourself right with God. And he's got it all confused. We'll get to that in just a minute. So let's look at these arguments. First of all, Zophar is pretty harsh. Verse 2, we read, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should not man full of talk be justified? You're a big blowhard, and you're lying to boot, he says. Should thy lives make men hold their peace? And when you mock, shall no man make you ashamed? In other words, it's my duty, Job, to just point out how wrong you are and how big a liar you are, how big a blowhard you are. Now, now stop just a minute. Think about where we are. Think about what Job's doing. Job was in such bad shape that they, it stunned them when they got there. Right. He looked horrible. He was in the dung heap, scratching himself with a pot shard, the boils, lancing the boils that had come up on his face and all over his body. I'm sure the smell was overpowering and the vision was just terrible. The only thing I can think of that might be worse would have been Jesus on the cross. But this is a man who looked like no man they'd ever seen. And they're down there understanding all he's lost, not just his health, but his wealth and his family. And even his wife is estranged from him now. She's been encouraging him to forsake God. And the very heart, his very heart's companion has, has turned unfaithful in this instance. And he looks at him and says, you're a big old windbag. Boy, that's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine yourself having the uh, backbone to stand up to somebody and say, you know, even if I thought that, I don't think I could say it, Brother Mackey. <laughs> but that's what he's doing. He's coming in here. Remember, we're going to come back to it again now. Remember what Paul said. We're to speak the truth, but we're to do it in love. So notice what he says. He says he's accusing him. Verse 4, for thou hast said, he said in verse 3, you're a liar. For thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. In other words, he's saying that Job, you're saying you're righteous before God. 
And now remember, Job does claim to be righteous in the sense that they're accusing him of unrighteousness. He's saying to them, look, I I know y'all are jumping on me, but I haven't done anything. I can't point to anything that I've actually done that has caused all this to come upon me. But there's, so in that sense, he is saying I'm pure, I'm pure in your eyes. I'm clean in your eyes in the sense that what you're accusing me of is wrong, but he's not ever said, and you're going to keep seeing the theme throughout it when Job responds, he never said, I'm not a sinner. He's never said I'm totally righteous and clean before God. But what he's saying to Job here is he's saying, you're claiming to be pure. All this is just idle chatter. It's not true. What you're saying about yourself is just an outright lie. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.